0: Good morning. Thank you for listening to our 10 o'clock worship sermon here at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, This morning we are going to uh, study chapter 13 of our Baptist Confession, uh, the chapter on sanctification. Uh, Paragraph 1 reads, Those who are united to Christ and effectually called and regenerated have a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the power of Christ's death and resurrection. They are also further sanctified, really and personally, through the same power, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the various evil desires that arise from it are more and more weakened and put to death. At the same time, those called and regenerated are more and more enlivened and strengthen in all the saving grace so that they practice true holiness without which no one will see the lord so far in our journey through the order of salvation we have examined election effectual calling justification and adoption the next step in god's plan of redemption is in chapter 13 of the confession sanctification Last week, during our 11 o'clock service, I addressed growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Peter urges the church. He instructs the church to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And essentially, Peter is saying that we grow in our faith. We make advancements in the faith. And there are several disciplines that we can practice that will cause our faith to be strengthened, such as prayer, uh, the reading and teaching of Scripture, and the sacraments. This is what is meant by sanctification. When we talk about growing in the faith, God strengthening our faith, we're describing the sanctification process. When does sanctification begin for the Christian? It begins after we are regenerated. It begins after we are converted to the Christian faith. And at last, this period of sanctification lasts until we die. Uh, So while we are being sanctified, uh, we are growing in grace, we're growing in faith, we're not idle, we're not falling backwards, Uh, we're always growing, we're always advancing. And if the Christian is sincere in his faith, the Holy Spirit will always see to it that you are progressing in your sanctification. There are many books and there are many articles that you can find concerning sanctification. But if I had to give a definition of what sanctification means, I would define it as a transformation of the sinner's life into the image of Christ. That's what our sanctification is. The Holy Spirit turning or transforming the sinner into the image of Christ. But again, that goal isn't reached in this life. Uh, Paragraph two of the confession says that sanctification extends throughout the whole person and it is never completed in this life. So while you're here, while you're alive on earth, you're being transformed, but that finish, that completion, the glorification of the sinner doesn't come until after this life. And so we see the sanctification's importance in the Christian life. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews chapter twelve verse twenty four. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, and that's what sanctification is doing. It is transforming the sinner into becoming a holy, righteous son of God, so that the sinner can be embraced into God's presence after His death. How does sanctification begin? Right, where does it begin? When does it begin? it begins after regeneration. Therefore, how it begins is by giving a new heart. If sanctification begins after regeneration and the regeneration is the giving of a new heart, sanctification, how it begins, is by giving that sinner a new heart, by giving him a new spirit. According to paragraph one of the Baptist Confession, It reads, those who are effectually called and regenerated have a new heart and a new spirit. A new heart and a new spirit is a prerequisite for being in the new covenant. And God promises this through the prophets. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. I will cleanse you from all your idols. I will cleanse you of all your sins. I will give you a new heart. I will give a new spirit, and I will put them within you. God says through Ezekiel 36 that I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what God promises. At our regeneration, God promises to give us a new heart. And this new heart, which is born again according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the power of the Holy Spirit, this new heart causes you to love God, to love the law of God, and to obey the law of God. And now that you love God and that you want to obey God and that you actually can obey God, your sanctification process can begin. You can begin to be transformed into the image of Christ. And the Lord says the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 31. The Lord says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see the similarities between these two passages? Prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel both reveal that God will give us a new heart. That he will put a new spirit within us. And that new heart and that new spirit will cause us to walk in obedience to the Lord. And this is a sanctification process. It begins when we are regenerated, the new heart, the new spirit is given to us. We're able to obey the Lord. We're able to love God. And that whole that Holy Spirit transforms this new person into a righteous son of God. So there's a sense, when you think about it, there's a sense of being and becoming. It's it's a paradox, right? Although we're still sinners, the Bible declares us to be saints. And you can see this a lot in the letters of the apostles. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, he says, To the saints in Ephesus. He says, To the Philippians. To the saints in Philippi. Right? He uses the term saints or holy ones. And this is a paradox because they're still sinners. The Ephesians, the Philippians, you and I, we're still sinners. We sin. We sin every day. We are not morally perfect. We're not perfect in our thoughts. We're not perfect in our deeds. We're not perfect in our speech. We are sinners. But the Bible still says that we're saints because the Christian life has a sense of being and becoming. God declares us to be righteous now, but one day in the future, that declaration will become an actual reality when we will be righteous before God. And that's what the sanctification process is doing. It is actually taking that sinner, although God declares him to be righteous, the sanctification process takes that sinner and begins to transform him into an actual righteous son of God. But what a great paradox for Christians to be holy sinners, right? And for this to be able to make sense, we, we have to understand that the term holy that is used by Scripture is used in, in several ways, right? When the term holy is used in reference to God, yeah, it's describing God's moral perfection. God's character is Holy. Uh, he dwells in holiness. God is perfectly moral. He is perfectly righteous in all that he is and in all that he does. There isn't any anything that is polluted in God's moral character. But when the scripture refers to Christians as holy ones or as um, holy people or saints, It's not referring to our moral character. It's referring to our position. When the scripture says that sinners are holy, it means that we are set apart. We are sanctified. Do you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush? Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, take your sandals off of your feet because you are on holy ground. Now, the place where Moses stood wasn't morally perfect, right? That doesn't make any sense. An area, a piece of land, can't be morally perfect. So what did God mean when he called the place where the burning bush was holy ground? It means that the piece of land was set apart from all other places where Moses could be standing, and so sometimes in Scripture, the term holy doesn't mean morally perfect. It can mean different. It can mean set apart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, swindlers. None of these people inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. You see the difference? Those who are not in Christ Jesus are not washed. They are not sanctified. They will continue to be slaves of sin. But those who are in Christ Jesus, although they still sin, they are considered righteous and they are being sanctified by their virtue, by virtue of their union with Christ. So although we're still sinners, God reckons us to be righteous and through the sanctifying power of the Spirit, we surely will become righteous. During... The Protestant Reformation, the former Catholic monk, Martin Luther, he coined the Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. And it means simultaneously just and a sinner. And that's the paradox of the Christian life. Sinners, Christians, are considered just and sinners at the same time. We are considered righteous and sinners at the same time. But through the power of God in sanctification, eventually that old sinful nature will be taken away from us. And when we are presented before God after our death, we will be presented before him perfect. And so this journey, when you become a Christian, the journey that you take is progressive. It's progressive. All true Christians continue to grow. You are not the same person as you were yesterday. If you are a true Christian, the day that you were converted right now, you're not the same person. Six months, last month, yesterday, you're not the same person. Sanctification is not instantaneous. Regeneration, justification, adoption, those things are instantaneous. But sanctification isn't. Sanctification is progressive it may be slow for some christians it may be faster in other christians but it is progressive so we shouldn't become discouraged or act if or act like we're not saved because we're not morally perfect when we become christians and that's something the world completely misunderstands about the christian faith The world thinks that, you know, since we claim to be Christians, we should never sin. We should be morally perfect, and that's just ignorant. That's a misunderstanding of the faith. The scriptures clearly teaches, the Baptist Confession clearly teaches that we will still sin once we become Christians. Because we're not morally perfect. The battle between the sinful flesh and the spirit is present Every day in Christians, although we're no longer slaves to sin, we're no longer under the curse of sin, the flesh is still manipulated. There are still traces of sin throughout our nature. It's, it's so much throughout our nature that it's sometimes we can even fall into seasons of sin, We can even live a life of persistent sin. Listen to the Baptist Confession. This is paragraph two and three under the sanctification. It says, some corruption remains in every part. From this arises as continual and irreconcilable war with the desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. Do you get that? Christians, although we are set apart by God, we have a new heart, we have a new spirit, we love God, we want to obey God, there there will be times in your life where you will live a persistent life of sin. The sinful flesh will dominate. It will prevail for a time, according to the confession. That corruption that remains inside the sinner will be so overwhelming that you will fall for a season. It could be for years of sin. It could be a, a, a season, of a period of six months or so. We must be confident that when we come to faith in Christ, that the old man will certainly be put away eventually by the Spirit. But there remains a remnant of corruption even after the Christian comes to faith in Christ. As long as this body of sin is present and as long as we live in a sinful world, we will never have complete victory over sin In such a way that we'll no longer sin here. Does that make sense? As long as we live in a body that has a a remaining corruption of sin in us, and we live in a world that is conducive to tempt people to sin, we will never, we will never stop sinning while we're here. It is a war is a war against our flesh. It takes place throughout the entire Christian life. There's desires of the flesh. There's desires of the spirit. They are contrary to one another. The flesh never gives into the spirit. The spirit never gives into the flesh. There isn't a single day, a single moment when the spirit says to the flesh, okay, flesh, you can have control of him today. I'll back off. And neither does the sinful flesh say, you know what, spirit? I had him yesterday. You go ahead and take him today. He's yours. You, you do whatever you want to do with him. That will never happen. The spirit will never give in to the flesh And the flesh will never give in to the spirit. And that's why there is a holy war taking place every moment of every day in the heart and in the spirit of the Christian. So how do we overcome this? Either we overcome it or we are overcome by it. How does a Christian overcome the flesh how does the Christian be overcome by the flesh? the Christian is overcome by the flesh by doing the works of the flesh and and the opposite is true the, the Christian overcomes the flesh by doing the works of the Spirit. We overcome the flesh by having a close relationship to the Spirit so that we can walk according to his leading. Every day, every day we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. The reason why the Apostle Paul says don't quench the Holy Spirit. You are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. That means you need to know how the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And that's why we we practice certain disciplines like the reading of Scripture and prayer. Because the Holy Spirit reveals to you how you are to walk according to him through prayer and through the reading of the word. That's how we overcome sin. That's how we win our daily struggle. That's how we don't fall into persistent sin. We are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that is accomplished by getting in the Word of God, sitting under a good teaching of the Word, spending time in prayer throughout the day. That's how you overcome the flesh. Have you ever noticed that periods of time that you persist in sin, you can always identify that time period when you're away from the word or when you're not in prayer. When you come out of that time of sin, when you, when you fall into a life of persistent sin and you finally come out of it, when you look back onto it, you can identify, oh yeah, that's the time when I didn't live a life in the word of God and I didn't live a life of prayer. Like if the whole spectrum of your life could be put on a chart on the wall and you can identify the times of your life where you fell into sin, those those times would be the exact time when you got away from the word of God, you got away from prayer, you started hanging out with worldly people, right i i know i know people that claim to be christians but they are so consumed by worldly pleasure and 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 the desires of the flesh you can see that their life is missing scripture it's missing prayer it's missing christian friends they have come friends of the world and they leave the things that they need in their life to keep them from falling into persistent sin. That's missing from their life. So how do we, how do we guard ourselves from falling into persistent sin? Scripture, prayer, and the fellowship of the saints. So there's good news. I don't want to paint sanctification as just a a time of struggle for Christians, because it's a time of joy, and the sense of joy that we get during the time of our sanctification is the promises of God, and the major promise of God uh, in the sanctification process is God's promise that He will preserve us, that He will keep us from falling away. I'm sure you've heard the term the perseverance of the saints. During the time that we are sanctified, which is the time right now in our life, and as the spirit wars against the flesh inside our members, God promises that you will get the victory. God promises that if you're sincere in your faith, he will preserve that faith. He will keep you from falling away. Sincere Christians never run the risk of falling away from the faith. Insincere Christians eventually will because they don't persevere. In the gospels, Jesus tells the story of the parable of the sower. Uh, It's in Mark chapter four. In the parable, there are four different soils and these four different soils represent four different people. Each of the soils receives the word, the seed, right? And the seed in the parable represents the word of God, the gospel. Three of these four soils don't preserve or don't persevere. Only one of the soils perseveres. Three of the four, although they receive the word of God, that seed, the word of God that they receive, eventually dies. They do not persevere. The crop isn't sustained. According to Jesus, there are several reasons why three of these four soils, after receiving the word of God, receiving the seed, eventually fall away and die. The several reasons, according to Jesus, tribulation, right? Suffering comes, people give up the faith care for the world, you know, worldliness. They really don't want to give up the world, so they eventually go back to it. The seedfulness of riches, their own personal wealth, and even Satan stealing the seed from their heart. These three soils do not have a sure foundation. They have not been truly regenerated. Although they appear to be Christians, they're not. They do not persevere to the end. Perseverance is God's great promise to true Christians. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8:35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am certain, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For true believers... Victory is your great promise. Victory is your great hope. Through the love of God, through the work of the Spirit, Christians will overcome the daily war that's in our heart. The Christian will receive victory over Satan and sin and death by virtue of their union with Christ. So yeah, there will be days when the flesh gets the best of us. There will be days where we fall into sin, live an entire day of sinlessness, or sinfulness, staying away from prayer, not reading the word, longing to go back to your old life, but for the true Christian, God's goodness leads us to repentance. Those sins are put away from us and we are renewed by the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier that to help you to avoid falling into a life of persistent sin, we, you need to be in the word of God. You gotta read scripture. You got to know scripture. You got to spend time in prayer. Even if it's, you know, you're at work and, and, and you're in your office, even if it doesn't got to be elaborate. Just that open communication with the Lord. And I also mentioned the fellowship of other Christians, the local church. The local church is absolutely essential. And it's necessary for the growth of every Christian. Listen to me. Listen to me. I understand we've had a pandemic. And I understand churches closed and they did online service. The spirituality of the church that stayed home. And all they did was listen to a man who preaches on live stream that didn't do any favors for you. The local church has been set up by God to facilitate and to help your sanctification. The teaching of the word, the prayers in the church, the fellowship with other Christians absolutely necessary to your sanctification. Completely necessary. The participation in in the sacraments necessary for your growth in the faith. Because it's through these disciplines that God renews and restores and transforms and preserves your faith. He renews it he restores it, he transforms it, and he preserves it. Through these disciplines that take place in the corporate body of Christ, it is necessary for you to be a part of the local church. And I encourage you to do that. You need to have men who God has called and equipped to teach you the word to shepherd your life to pray over you you need you need to be trained by these men inside the local church so that you can go home and you can take up these disciplines such as scripture and prayers inside the home you need to be trained to do that. And I know online church is popular, but it is not beneficial. Even if the body of people gather together, listening to a man who's preaching 2,000 miles away, live stream, that is not, that is not beneficial for those, for those group of people. He, he cannot be their shepherd. He cannot minister to them. So if you desire to grow in your faith, if you desire to be sanctified, if you desire to uh, what, what you have already received, if for that seed to be preserved by God, you need to subject yourself to the local church. It is good to be in the company of others who are facing the same trial, the same course of life as you are. There is hope, there is comfort, there is strength. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God that immediately follows our conversion. When God calls you through the preaching of the gospel and you come to saving faith, God gives you a new heart, he gives you a new spirit, and that new heart and new spirit are now, now enables you to grow, to love the Lord, to love the word, to love obedience. So sanctification follows Regeneration. And it's a continual, progressive process throughout the Christian's life. It will never be completed here. It is completed upon your death. That's what sanctification is. Doesn't mean we'll be morally perfect. Doesn't mean we'll we'll be sinless. But as you advance in the Christian faith, you will sin less. You will sin less. Sanctification is not accomplished by you. It is a work of God alone. It is work done by the Holy Spirit in dwelling inside the Christian, advancing him, using prayer and scripture and the sacraments to strengthen the faith. It is monergistic in nature. God does this work independently from outside sources. He is not dependent upon man for sanctification. Anything that involves salvation, election, calling, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, glorification, whatever it is, if it involves salvation, it is God's work alone. We do not partner with the Lord. He does this work on his own. Well, what about good works? What about good works? We We are urged and instructed and exhorted from Scripture to do good works. How can I say sanctification does not involve human effort when the Bible tells us to do good works? Here's your answer. Because good works is not sanctification. Good works is not any part of salvation. If that were true, then we're not justified by grace through faith. We, we, we would be justified by works then. Good works is a result of sanctification. Good works is uh, comfort for the Christian because it proves that your faith is justified. It proves that you have a true and sincere faith. So when you examine your life and there's no fruit, there's no good works, you should be fearful and doubt whether you are, not, whether you are a Christian. But if you do examine your life and you see good fruit, you see good works, you can have confidence that God's work in salvation is sincere in your life. It is there. It is fruitful. It is active. God is saving you. He is sanctifying you because sanctification produces good works. Sanctification is not good works. It produces good works. Sanctification is God's work in you that enables you to do good works. God empowers you to obey him. But good works are not sanctification.